0: Well, good morning, Glen Kirk family, whether you're uh, watching online or you're here in person or you're um, participating out on the patio, it was fun to greet some of you earlier. Um, It's good to have you worshiping with us today. You know, sometimes it seems like there are two different kinds of Christians. Um, Some Christians are all about faith. Faith Christians like to remind everybody that we are saved by grace through faith alone, that there's nothing that we can do in our actions to contribute anything to our salvation, our reconciliation with God. Faith faith Christians want to assure that they have all of their beliefs just right, and they're sometimes quick to point out when other people's beliefs aren't quite right. Because faith Christians want to keep faith front and center, they're often nervous about focusing too much on works or obedience or action for fear of falling into the traps of legalism. But other Christians are all about action. Action Christians have faith in Jesus, but they want to get busy doing things, Action Christians can often be found feeding the hungry, volunteering in their church and working for change in their community for the better. Action Christians sometimes overcommit themselves because there's always so much to be done. Action Christians get frustrated by faith Christians when faith Christians talk so much about faith they never get around to doing anything about it. But action Christians... But faith Christians get frustrated with action Christians for neglecting the importance of having a deep, biblical, robust faith. And I know I've created a little bit of a caricature here, but it seems like most Christians kind of gravitate towards faith or action. Well, today we start our fall series, Faith Work, which is a series through the New Testament book of James. And in James, we're going to see that faith and action are so intertwined that it is impossible to separate them. In fact, probably the most well-known verse from the book of James is James 2.26, faith without works is dead. For James, faith in Jesus is the most important thing in life. But James wants to make sure we have the right kind of faith in Jesus. And for James, the right kind of Christian faith is always the kind that leads us to action. Now, few things in our life test our faith more than when we go through difficult times. Times of sickness, wounded or broken relationships... Seasons of disappointment, financial setbacks, significant failures that we've made, unhappiness with our church, marital problems. These kinds of experiences test our Christian faith in ways that few other things in life do. And so today, from the first chapter of James, we're going to see four actions that we can take to put our faith to work when we are going through difficult and challenging times. So let's begin in James chapter 1 verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 12 today. Beginning in verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, there are actually five different people in the Bible with the name James. So, the James who wrote this particular letter was the James who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Both Jesus and James had the same mother, Mary. But because Jesus was conceived miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and James did not have the same father. Now, this James, the brother of Jesus, was not one of Jesus' original 12 apostles. In fact, at first, James, the brother of Jesus, didn't even believe in Jesus. Like the rest of his family, James was skeptical about his brother's claims about himself. And that only changed after Jesus was crucified by the Romans, rose from the dead, conquering death, and then personally appeared to his brother, James. And that's when James became a Christian, when he encountered his brother risen from the dead. James would go on to become the primary leader of the church in Jerusalem. We talked about that a little last week. A fourth century historian says the people nicknamed James... James the just because of his reputation for integrity. There's another ancient church tradition about James that says that the skin on his knees developed calluses that resembled camel skin because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, James the Just, James the the half-brother of Jesus, was killed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem in 62 AD. That's the James who wrote this letter. And since James died so early in 62 AD, this letter is one of the very first books of the New Testament ever written, perhaps the the, the very first one. He addresses his letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And at first that sounds like he's only talking to Jewish people. But James is actually using the imagery of Israel's 12 scattered tribes to describe the church. To describe us as followers of Jesus around the world. So let's look at what James says about hard times. Because he jumps right in beginning in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters... Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James assumes that trials in life are inevitable. Following Jesus does not make you immune from difficult and challenging times in life. Christians struggle with discouragement, clinical depression, fractured relationships, just as much as anybody else. We get sick at the same rate. We have problems at work. Our marriages struggle just like other people. But James urges us to consider these tough times that we go through as occasions for joy, not because they're easy and not because they're enjoyable, but to consider them occasions for joy because of what we know, because of our knowledge of what God can do in our lives when we go through hard times. Hard times test our faith in Jesus. And again, for James, nothing in our lives is more important than our faith in Jesus. The the word for test in verse 3 means separating what's real from what's not. Like like pulling out a real $100 bill from a stack of counterfeit bills. Hard times separates what's real and what's true about our Christian faith from what's not real. And what's shallow. James says that a real faith will lead to perseverance. A faith that cannot persevere during hard times. For James is not a real faith. And God uses perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work. By helping us grow into spiritual maturity. Into Christian completeness. And this is the first action we can take to put our faith to work when we go through a hard time. Look at hard times as opportunities for growth. Look at hard times as opportunities for growth. And by the way, all of my points that I give each week, they're all on our church app. Um, If you miss one, you download the app and you can get that. Now, there are some churches out there that say that Christians go through fewer hard times than non-Christians do. There are some churches that say that if you're a Christian, you won't get sick. You'll be rich. Your marriage will never struggle. You'll always be happy. There are churches that claim that if you follow Jesus, your kids will turn out exactly how you want them to turn out. There are churches that say, if you follow Jesus, you will have fewer hard times in life than those who don't follow Jesus. Sometimes this is called the prosperity gospel, and it's particularly popular here in the United States. But that is not what James thinks. You see, James thinks that what sets us apart as Christians is not that we go through fewer hard times than other people but that we can choose to see the hard times we go through through a different lens. We can choose to see these difficult and painful seasons of our lives into opportunities for God to grow us into maturity and completeness. And that's what we want as Christians, isn't it? We want to grow to be mature. We want to become fully formed into all that God intends for us to become. I mean, that's part of our mission statement at Glen Kirk, to become, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why we practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and solitude. It's one of the reasons we come together to worship. And, And spiritual disciplines are an essential part of our spiritual maturity, but so are hard Times. In fact, there are some aspects of our Christian maturity into completeness that will never happen unless our faith is tested by going through hard times. So when hard times come into your life, how do you look at them? Do you feel like a victim of circumstances beyond your control or, or do you blame people? Maybe you blame your, your, your boss or your parents or your kids or your spouse or your, your church. Maybe you blame the media or blame politicians. Maybe you blame the devil. Maybe you even blame God for the hard times. Or, or maybe when hard times come, you see them as something that you deserve, that you brought upon yourself because of all the mistakes that you've made in life. James invites us to look at hard times differently. To see them as possibilities. To see hard times as invitations from God to grow, to change. To maybe let some things go in our life. To maybe bring some new things into our lives. In this perspective, it doesn't make hard times easy or painless. But it does reframe them to help us see them differently. Now, if you're a parent or maybe a grandparent, this first action is a really important principle for how we raise kids. A lot of you know that I have four kids and five stepkids. I have a fairly large sample size of parenting. My, my oldest son, Wes, turns 33 in a couple of weeks, and my youngest stepson just turned 20. So for the first time in about 20 years, I have no teenagers in my life, thanks be to God. Um, and, and like most Christian parents, I have spent my time parenting wanting my kids to be mature, complete, lacking in nothing in terms of their relationship with God. But as a parent, I also want to shield my kids From hard times. In fact, as parents, we're tempted to eliminate the obstacles and difficulties that our kids might face while they're living under our care. I remember being upset when my second son was not chosen to be the, um, the marching, um, drum major for marching band his senior year in high school. I thought he deserved it, and I was ready to call the, the, the um, band director. Or my third son, when he, uh, the coach didn't start him at third base during an important playoff game, I was ready to talk to the manager. Our desire to shield our kids from the disappointments of life come from a place of love, but that impulse can actually work against what God is doing in our kids' lives to grow them into maturity. We really want James 1.4 for our kids or grandkids. We have to let them go through hard times while they're under our care. So they can learn perseverance. We have to let them deal with the disappointment of not getting chosen for a sports team or a leadership role or a part in the school play. Because if we try to manipulate the process to protect them from disappointment, we circumvent the process. When I worked at Azusa Pacific University, I remember getting a phone call from a parent one time. Um, This uh, parent's daughter had interviewed for a position in my office as a student worker, and we ended up not hiring her. And so he wanted to know why I didn't hire his 21-year-old daughter for a part-time position in our office. And I, of course, told him that confidentiality laws prevented me from saying anything to him about his daughter. And he went on to tell me I was a terrible judge of talent, and he yelled at me and hung up on me. And I thought, he's not doing his daughter any favors here. We have to let our kids go through not getting the job or hurt friendships or teachers and coaches that, that don't seem to like them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't advocate for our kids when they're a victim of injustice. We should. But those situations are few and far between. The hard times kids experience while they're under our care are opportunities for God to build perseverance in their lives and for perseverance to do its work so they can become mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Hard times are opportunities for growth if we choose to see them that way. Now let's look at verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When you're going through hard times, it's not always clear what you should be doing. Should I try to reconcile this relationship Or should I let it go? Should I get the surgery or the treatment? Or should I wait? Should I stay in this toxic work environment? Or should I quit? So James invites us to ask God for wisdom to make the right decisions when we're going through difficult times. And God delights in giving the good gift of wisdom to his children when they ask. But he warns us about being double-minded doubters when we ask. Now, first, is kind of confusing because hard times are filled with uncertainty where we don't know what to do. But uh, as Bible scholar Dan McCartney points out, a double-minded doubter is not someone who, who has no uncertainty. It's someone whose loyalty is divided between Jesus and other things. Their hearts are divided Double-minded doubting describes a person whose faith may look real on the outside, but it's not deep enough to withstand the test of hard times. And this is the second action we can take. Ask God for wisdom to navigate hard times. Ask God for wisdom. This is is a call to prayer, to ask God for wisdom. Now, later in the book of James, in in chapter 3, we're going to see that there are two different kinds of wisdom There's God's wisdom that in chapter 3, James will describe as as pure, peace-loving, considerate of other people, submissive to God's will and to, to each other, full of mercy, sincere. But there's also another kind of wisdom, an earthly wisdom, the kind that James says is envious and is driven by our ego, The the kind of wisdom that leads to chaos and that, that leads us into wrong actions. People who have a real faith in Jesus are going to want God's kind of wisdom to navigate their hard times. Because without God's wisdom, we will make hard times even harder with our decisions. Without God's wisdom, instead of persevering in our faith, we'll, we'll give in to temptation, and we won't receive the benefits that can come from persevering in hard times. So as we go through hard times and see them as, as opportunities for growth, James invites us to ask God, and he'll give us his wisdom. Now, verses 9 through 11 give us a hint about what kind of hard times the first readers of James were facing. Look at it with me. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Here James talks about economic hard times, especially for people who are in poverty and are being exploited by those who have more money than they do. And James actually will mention this a couple of different times throughout this letter. And and most Bible scholars see these verses as an indication that many of James's original readers were victims of economic injustice. In fact, we'll see later in James that some of the Christians James is writing to were being tempted to get violent against their oppressors. More about that in weeks to come. So James says that Christians who are poor, whose financial description or condition he describes as low, can take pride in their high position. Now, that that sounds like a paradox at first. Like, how can someone who's low economically really be in a high position? We actually find this idea a lot in the Bible. Because of God's promise that He will one day turn the social order of our world upside down. We find it in Mary's song. Mary, the mother of James, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, she sang, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This reversal. Jesus talked about this when he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James, Jesus, their mother Mary, all believe that God will one day turn the social order of our world upside down James goes on to say that those who are wealthy should also take pride in this future reversal now now if you're wealthy that that doesn't really sound like something to get excited about but his point is that our position in society whether it's high or low is temporary James is echoing the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their wisdom, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know the Lord. Our riches will fade, even as a beautiful wildflower eventually wilts. Our lives on this earth, all that we earn, all we collect, all we achieve, it's temporary. And this is the third action we can take in hard times. Accept that our current condition is temporary. Accept that reality. No matter what hard time you're going through, it is temporary. It will pass. It may pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass. This knowledge is good news... Because it reminds us that life on this earth is not all that there is. Our mortal life on this earth is just one chapter of a much bigger story. And the hard times we go through may be debilitating, painful, crushing. But they are not forever And you know, this is also true of our successes and our achievements. The the balance in our bank account, the size of our home. And I think it's probably easier for those who don't have a lot to accept that their condition is temporary. But it's harder for those who have high positions to accept that their position is temporary as well. Those who rule the halls of Congress and those who make boardroom decisions and Fortune 100 companies... Those who control the media or who send armies into battle, those are not necessarily the people who will be in charge in God's future kingdom. Because we don't carry our influence or our titles or our wealth or our education with us into the kingdom of God. The only thing we carry is the people that we have become. Our character while we're on this earth. When hard times hit, we put our faith to work by accepting that our condition, whether high or low, is temporary. One last verse to look at, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is a beatitude, a statement of blessing. Sounds a lot like Jesus here. The word blessed means fortunate, happy. Not not that hard times are fortunate or happy. But the person who perseveres in hard times is blessed because of God's promise. Those whose faith is real, Christians who persevere during hard times in their faith, will one day receive the crown of life. And the crown of life here, it's not talking about the kind of crown a king or a queen wears on a throne. It's talking about a, a victory wreath that an athlete would receive in the ancient athletic games when they won a competition. This is the last action we can take to put our faith to work. Look for the blessing of God's future reward. In hard times, look for the blessing of God's future reward. God considers us to be blessed when we persevere because of his promises. Not only is our current situation temporary, but God will reward those who persevere with a victory celebration. Now, for James, this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. Remember, James was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. This promise about what happens after we die is based on his encounter with the only person who has ever conquered death and come back to tell about it. So some Christians may be faith Christians. And some may be action Christians. And James would say we have to be both. Because a genuine faith will express itself in action. And few things in life test the authenticity of a person's Christian faith than hard times. You know this. Hard times can separate the real and the true from the counterfeit and the shallow. And it doesn't mean that hard times are easy or pleasant. And it certainly doesn't mean we should seek them out for ourselves. But when they do come, and they do come, James invites us to look at them differently. As opportunities to grow. He invites us to ask God for wisdom to navigate those hard times. To accept that whatever it is we're going through, it's temporary. Our condition is temporary and then to anticipate God's future reward. If we do that, our faith will be tested as genuine. We will grow into the maturity that we long for. We will lack nothing in terms of our completeness. As followers of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these opening words of James. Lord, written by a man who had gone through his own share of hard times. And Father, I don't know what everybody in this room and those watching online and those out on the patio, I don't know everything that everyone is going through. And I know that some are going through desperately difficult times. And God, I don't mean to minimize their pain or to minimize the the difficulty that they face. But I believe that you are there with them, each one of them. And I pray for each person, each family, each couple going through difficult times right now that you would strengthen their faith, that they would persevere, that they would come out the other side more mature, more complete with good gifts that you have given. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.